literally somebody who's like paycheck is paid by revenue that comes from sales is like, why 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 has someone clone called me? Why 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 has somebody like prospected yeah. me on LinkedIn? I shame them publicly on there. I tag their VP of sales and say, tell that to the people who pay you for your salary. Oh wow! Oh, yes. I've done that a couple times on LinkedIn. I'll be honest, I still don't fully believe you, but hey, we'll take your word for it. That's some royalty-free shit, people. That's what we do. We're back. I'm Puyan from Scratchpad. I'm still trying to get used to calling Ross Corp, but for now on this one, I'm just going to call you Ross again. That's okay. Yeah, whatever we'll you want to call me. I get a lot of different names, some better than others. We're super excited for for this session because we've got the OG Pete Kazanji here. One, I'm, I'm assuming most folks listening here will, will know you, who you are, but if not, um, you've you've led sales, you founded several companies. You've written a book. You've advised. You've invested. We're thrilled to have you. Thanks. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm stoked to stoked to be here, and we can talk about. Uh, yeah, we can talk about all sorts of things beyond quota. But also, we should start where you got into sales and how you went to Stanford, and then fucked up and ended up in sales. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I think it was like one of those things. I mean, like, let's be honest. Um, I think my attitude about sales probably like 10 years ago was your prototypical attitude where it's like, oh my God, that's like where like bros go who can't like, you know, can't get a better job or, or whatever. And so my my first software company, Talentbin, um, was a recruiting software company. Um, you know, it was founded in like 2011. Like pretty quickly we were like, hmm, somebody's got to sell this shit. And so, yeah, that's, that's how I kind of went from being uh, initial... Uh, founder to um, you know to first seller that took a lot of lumps <laughs> on the way, but uh, but yeah, I guess that is like the the succinct story of like how I fucked up and ended up in sales. Yeah, did did you have like a welcome to sales moment where you're you know any of those early deals you were trying to close where you're like oh I should know that or oh this is how this is gonna go. Yeah, I think probably like the best example of that would probably be where like I think our ASP at Talentbin early on was like 10k because I didn't know any better. I was just like, "Oh yeah, I should like probably go on site, right? Because that's what people do. Is they like like go to the customer." Drove all the way down to like it wasn't San Jose, but it was like Sunnyvale. And then the person like ghosted the meeting and I was like, well, that sucked because <laughs> I should go yeah. back to San Francisco. It was like the dumbest thing ever on, on my part. And I was like, okay, there's got to be a more efficient way to do this. <laughs> that sucks. I mean, people complain all the time about being ghosted on Zoom calls and you forget, like if you've, if you've never done, if you've never actually showed up at somebody's office or gone for an in-person meeting and were ghosted that way, that sucks. Yeah, that was just like, I mean, just like one of like a long litany of like, you know, gut punch, ball kicks, you know, threat punches, it's etc. which essentially is like how you learn sales, right? Getting punched right in the dick over and over and over again. Oh, oh, again? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It just hurts so good eventually. So how did then if how did your opinions of sales like evolve when you from being a founder to then being in sale, like leading sales and then back out again. Like how did that progression kind of change for you? And, I, and I'll just, I'll, let me add to, to that question quick. Cause I think sure. at some point it's sound, it feels like from the external perspective, you developed an appreciation for it. Oh, you totally. ended up creating a, creating a community for it. You wrote a book 
uh, on it. So when did that happen? Well, I just I think what it is is that there's just like wild misunderstanding of like what the craft of sales is amongst people who don't do it. Like where do sales leaders come from? They come from AEs. Where do AEs come from? They come from SDRs. Where do SDRs come from? Well, you graduated from you know XYZ with like a you know business degree, and you're like, oh shit, I need a job, right? And like you hop on the sales train, and so like. And then, so like people have been on that track, like they know how it is because they just li- live it all day long. Whereas like, you know, somebody who's a product manager or a, or a founder, or like, yeah. you have no idea. Like you don't, inter- the only way that you interface with sales, is like watching stupid shit on, on movies like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross or like Boiler Room. Yeah. It's just like an information transparent or like information transfer, like shortfall. And that's why I ended up writing founding sales because like a couple of like bad things happen. One is that people have like these stupid opinions interorganizationally. Literally, somebody who's like paycheck is paid by revenue that comes from sales is like, why am I why has somebody clone called me? Why am I why has somebody like prospected yeah. me on LinkedIn? And so you just see, and like I have empathy because I'm just like, okay, well, clearly you just don't understand how this works. So like maybe I should just send you a copy of my book or whatever. So like, that's the, that's the one problem. I shame them publicly on there. I tag their VP of sales and say, tell that to the people who pay you for your salary. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. I've done that a couple of times on LinkedIn. And um, anyway, so all the, like, I think at, at this point, yeah, like that was kind of the, the impetus around like founding sales is like, okay, cool. I, I just went through this, so I should write it down so that other people don't have to like eat the same bowl of glass that I did, or at least it'll be very quick. Yeah. It's you, you brought up a bunch of inter- interesting points, and I want to dig into what it's like building a community of salespeople because I'm sure you've seen some shit and had to deal with some shit <laughs> in doing that. But they like to try to sell to each other. It's weird. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like that's it's that, that's the natural state. And like, how do you take that out and be like, no, this is a place to discuss, not sell. But but it is what it is. But it's interesting though because what you said, what you said resonated, and it, it feels like there was a period of time. And I wonder if that's shifting where it was almost a, a, a sense of pride that a founder or company would have if they didn't have salespeople. I think it is changing. I think there was a moment maybe in like the early two, uh, early 2010s. Um, and I think there's a lot of like shifting going on there, probably because there just is more information transfer. I think like Jessica Livingston from Y, y Combinator had a pretty good article that she wrote, pretty good essay she wrote um, on like sales instead of marketing. I think that kind of like helped. Yeah. I think a lot of the accelerators are kind of getting on that train. I want to go back to Puyan's question around community. You know, talk about like, and so that's what I'm doing too, similarly building a community of sales folks. And the hypocrisies are just a plenty. You know, it's like, I mean, it's shit from like people getting mad, you know, salespeople get mad when they get the like unavailable calls and like, God, another telemarketer. And then they're like, they go to their day job and make 80 unsolicited like cold calls. There's just like, <laughs> like they're just somehow not processing it or like, oh, this thing's too expensive. You know, dollar menu is not a dollar anymore. And they're like, yeah, this guy won't spend 20K. Maybe it's, you know, like million dollar company. It's just like, there's just like a disconnect there. But I'd love to hear about your experience. Uh, building a sales community. So my current software company is a company called Atrium. We make data-driven sales management software. You know, it's, it's just software that helps AE managers, like SDR managers, use use data to improve team performance. So what we knew was like when we were going to start selling this is that like sales operations and sales leadership was going to be a really important kind of like component of um, of who we were selling to. <laughs> and so we were like, okay, cool. Well, like maybe what we could do is aggregate those folks together. And so just make, making sure that your, your community is focused on, or like it is focused on the topics that like matter 
um, to folks and then allow people to facilitate interaction on that is um, in a way that is low risk and like they won't get their leg humped by um, by 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 people potentially trying to like sell something because like what that will do is that'll then chill their ability to ask that question in the future. Well, how do you prevent people from like trying to sell shit to each other? Like they're sellers. Like what do you get? <laughs> the drop of water go or the drop of blood yeah. goes into the water and they all go <laughs> they all go berserk. It's like, well, you just have to be like a real draconian asshole. <laughs> Yeah, and, and we're like, we're gonna like, we're gonna toss your ass out of here, and we're also gonna tell everybody that we tossed you out of here on the yeah, way yeah. out. Public shaming. Yeah. yeah, and people love it. It's hilarious. oh yeah, salespeople love that shit. Building empathy of being the account executive, you know, the SDR, the AE, the AM, and and now you're managing a team, and not only that, leading a team of managers. And so, what's your journey been? So, if you're not doing those, if you're not working on things that have like long term, um, kind of reward or payback then you're kind of like screwing up as a manager um and and so then if you then back that up and say okay well as a, as an ae how do i um how do i get there it's like well you just kind of start doing some of that stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> like just on the yeah. side traditionally where people you know get promoted to manager it's like the worst the worst possible case is the highest performing reps who just like slay quota and it's actually they're not really i mean you could have great people who do that who become managers but but usually like those people are just like wildly wildly like narrow focused on just the stuff that they need to do in order to just crush quota whereas as a manager like you're just you're they're essentially like a babysitter plus like a cook plus like like a maid like you're just doing things for other people when you say become an amazing manager do you judge that just based off their team performance or other factors like, Hey, I, I like this person. Yeah. I mean, I think like this, the, the true measure of a, of a successful manager is what they do with their reps and like how you can change behavior, driving the performance of your B players, like bringing, bringing B players up to like a minus. Cause you're going to have like six B players, like the, a truly successful manager can, can identify the problems, like the shortfalls in their team um, on a rep by rep basis, and then improve that. Having played a very low level professional sports, I always felt like mm. managers could take somebody from like a B to a B plus, but not from a B to an A. Like they just, they couldn't do that. Like a lot of people have that skill. They've got the talent and they're more like ego managers, like psycho psychological managers who like, they're not making them actually better. They're just like making them think differently but, but i guess in that regard they are making them better though right i but guess like, that's i so guess what did so? you what did you what did you what did you play ross i was a baseball player oh okay cool when you get to a certain level like i don't know if you're playing like minor league baseball or whatever at a certain point like you just cap out from a from a raw capacity standpoint but that's like not the situation in sales land right like there's so much stuff that people could improve on um, that are just, just like sitting right there and so understanding what the critical path is for that rep like one of my reps was really struggling with that data light stuff because he's a really bright guy. And it's one of those things where it's just like, cool, you just need to shut up and be like, cool. So it sounds like, it sounds like you want to turn on, you want to set up an account right now. Can you share your screen? Let's do it. Lo and behold, like, and we had him practice that for like two hours in a row until like, yeah. you know, his, uh, his eyes were falling out of his head and you see his conversion rates change. From what do you do if you're the rep that's working for a shitty manager? Do you just pray that it doesn't last long? Do you try to help yourself by helping the manager? Do you go above? And then 
you know, there's a lot of stuff that's built for managers to help their reps. But as a leader, how do you assess your managers and say, hey, like what's going on? Who's a who's a poor performing manager so that you could manage the manager? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I like I know the answer to the first one. I certainly have a point of view on the the second one, which is when you're a, a sales leader, really it's incumbent on you to enable your managers. Right. And so that means that they need to know what their operating rhythm is. Like what are the meetings that they should be having with their teams at you know, and what are the what's the contents of those meetings? Providing that framework to managers is the first kind of step there. And then inspecting that it's actually happening mm-hmm. um, by kind of like dipping in. And then of course you then see it, you can use data to to evaluate that. From the rep standpoint though, like how do you and this is like the classic business school case is like, when do you decide to actually try and make someone better versus just cut bait? You can see that in the data. And, and I think the, the first thing is like, there's like the, you know, your skill will kind of like two by two where like, if somebody doesn't have like the will, like they're not putting in the work, right. Um, just from an activity standpoint, or they're not following through on the, um, they're not following through on the coaching that has been provided or you assign them homework and they don't necessarily do it. Well, in that case, like, all right, like that's can't really fix that. <laughs> they're, they're checked out. And then I think the, then if you're trying to upskill somebody, um, I think there's, you know, I don't know if it's like three strikes and you're out sort of situation, but you know, you want to make sure that they're actually improving over time. And so that, you know, to use the, the examples we were talking about earlier, that's looking at some sort of metric that would indicate that they're like, let's use baseball again, right? Like, Hey man, you're getting shelled. I was a pitcher. Um, Hey man, you're getting shelled. So was I. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, like you're, you're, you're getting shelled because what ends up happening is you get behind on the count and then you get nervous. And so then you have to serve something like, so then, you know, you throw, you, you put it right down the pipe and like you get, rocked right so instead what i need you to do is i need you to hit first pitch strikes such that you don't get behind in the count and then you don't have to do something stupid later and get yourself shelled so what we're going to do is we're going to (laughs) measure whether or not you're having first pitch strikes and we're going to come back to it and if you don't we're going to make you run until you puke and then if you uh and then if you continue if you continue to not do that well then you're not going to pitch anymore um or if you are hitting more first, first pitch strikes, then wonderful. You get some more big league chew, right? And I think that that's kind of like the, the the approach to take that. And so that just applies to whatever it is the the short the skill shortfall is in the case of um, the rep that you're working with. Yeah, we had to do that. We had to convert. We had 80, 80% or 85% first pitch strike and then 80% 1 1 conversions as well. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's what yeah. we were trying to get. So no, I mean that level of granularity is like, yeah. That's what we would do. Absolutely, we, we had to track that every game. I mean that's why I think it transfers. So like, I mean, working at Oracle is like every dude played baseball at some like, pretty good level. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I was definitely averse to like the metrics were annoying, but they were very. You know, so I'm still very like metrics driven across everything that I do, just because it's interesting. I like data and looking at it, but I definitely had moments where I was like, "Fuck this, fuck this leaderboard right now." All it is doing is like, it's like I know I suck right now. Thank you. <laughs> you know, the TVs around the office. Like if you're not on that leaderboard, that top 10, you're just like, feel like a piece of shit. Um, yeah. Anyway, this is like one of the things that kind of uh, cracks us up with, with Atrium is like, um, it's, it's kind of like bringing that 
like religion yeah. to the to to sales land of like hey it's okay it's okay like it's okay to like sales math it's okay for us to be nerds like what do you think that what do you think that nick saban and bill belichick do and by the way if you don't someone else will and you're gonna get fired yeah yeah <laughs> like true. all like all the scouts in like all the scouts in Moneyball. yeah oh, the yeah. eye test no longer works yeah no one's buying oh, the yeah. eye test anymore but as we come to towards our time here pete we like to end with uh, with two questions with everyone. And question number one is, what's your hype song? More importantly, what's your walkout song when you're coming out in the night? <laughs> yeah, let's start with that one. And you got to close the game. <laughs> what's, what's playing right now? <laughs> I think the, um, it was uh, – we'll, we'll go with like Thunderstruck by, uh, yeah. by ACDC. How about your, your song of mourning afterwards? You just gave the, up a the recovery. The first. You just got you got pulled. You couldn't even get through the first recovery <laughs> song. Uh, it's probably what is it? Closing time. I forget who the uh... yeah. yeah closing time. <laughs> wah, wah, oh. wah. <laughs> we had a guy. Our closer came out to to that song. It was just like, <laughs> God, just not jacked up at all. <laughs> Closing time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But this is great, Pete. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, really super fun. It. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, sir. Much appreciated. Yeah.